everyone, Greg Meskel here. Thanks for joining us on another brand new episode of What's Good. A little bit of a diversion this week from our hard-hitting sports in that we're getting into the world of entertainment. Uh, old friend of mine, James Connolly, an award-winning production designer joining us here. James, so good to have you. Thanks, Greg. It's actually, we're ancient friends. We go back to the beginning of time. Yes, thanks. It's really nice to be here. Uh, good to have you as well. Yes, going going way back to the uh, the grade school days of Leonardo, New Jersey. Uh, a very very niche audience that'll appreciate any Leonardo reference we might we might work in here. Um, <laughs> I want to start off with something very probably broad and general, but in short, when I look at what you do, I I think you make things look good. So how would you describe your aesthetic? What what is beautiful to you? Oh gosh, oh that's a good question. Yeah, so I mean. You know, a, a production designer really is a problem solver and sort of a solution giver. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of well-versed in finding visual solutions for basically is a problem. And it's a lot of times with a group of people who are trying to figure out what the show is supposed to look like. Um, and I do that with uh, beautiful things. I work in a particular genre that isn't very specific about what it needs to look like. For instance, uh, a singing competition show like The Masked Singer or The Voice or a baking show like Nailed It or Top Chef, a cooking show, it doesn't ever really have a, a strong direction at first. Um, it, it's not like I worked on like NYPD Blue or Law and Order where somebody's gonna be like, it's a courtroom. Well, I know what a courtroom looks like, I'll start there. Um, so I, it's a good question, where, what do I, what's my visual aesthetic? I, um, I'm generally attracted to like really modern uh, hospitality venues. So I get really kind of inspired by a cool restaurant or bar or uh, like a hip hotel. And so sometimes when you have these conversations with folks and you're trying to make something together, you're kind of like, well, all right, I know, I, I know you want to try to tell me what it looks like, but let's just stop there. What, what, what restaurant is this? Or what Vegas hotel would you find this in? And you can generally then get a sense of what they like. And then for me, it's a way to relate and be like, oh, well, if it's, it's either cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan or it's the wind. Like, to me, I, I have my own personal aesthetic, but it's what I like to tease out of them is something relatable that we've all been there. Very good stuff. And James talked about working on a couple of different shows. He's won Emmy Awards for some of these programs, uh, most recently Kelly Clarkson show. I wanted to ask you about validation of your work. So you get a nice big Emmy trophy and that says you're really good at this. But for you personally, what's, what's the best way someone can validate the work you've put in on a project? Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, the process is so long and tedious and, and, and it involves quite a few people. Um, sure, there's the pomp and circumstance of like getting in a tux and in a limo and then having your mother fly out and going to this <laughs> ceremony and having all these stakes on top of each other and you're holding hands before they tell you you win. But that's great, you know, but then nothing really does beat. There's two moments in a process that I've distilled it down to. One of them is, is when you're by yourself thinking of what it's going to be. And the moment personally is just when it sort of clicks. There's a bit of a struggle when you're planning something out. You're finding the strategy, you're sort of trying to figure out what is this, from my, from my point of view, brand or look. And you have to try a lot of stuff. But when you hit it, you're like, ah, oh. every, the world seems to come together a little bit. And you're like, oh yeah, it's, 
that. It's that thing. I get it. Okay, it's going to be, and then all the pieces come together. And then the last is, is when, you know, you've been playing it all out in make-believe for six months or so, and you've been working with con construction and architects and decorators and people who do just flowers and people who do just paint, and you've been planning them all out and sort of assembling them together in some meetings or Zooms now and drawings, and you're sending the whole thing out, but nothing really beats when it comes together at the end in a good way, and people see it for the first time, and they think it happened really easy. They think, they, they think you just called Amazon Prime for a minute, just <laughs> dialed it up, and, they're, and everybody, everybody tells you on that first day, oh, you know, the set looks great. Uh, and every, like, the guy in craft service, the person just dropping things off in a truck, when that happens, that's insanely rewarding. You know, it's, 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 you get, you get addicted. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I can, I can understand that feeling, especially to then chase that next thing and want to, and want to build the next one maybe better than the past one. Yeah, there's stakes too, because you're only as good as your last one. It's the, it's the biggest, uh, it's the biggest truth of Hollywood. You're really only as good as your last show. And so, you kind of want to roll the dice every time. And if you screw up, you're not going to work for that person for a while. Um, and so you just sort of want to try again and, and again and again. And, uh, and yeah, there, you become addicted to that feeling and that risk and that, that, that validation for sure. Whenever you hear an interview with an actor in Hollywood or an actress or someone who's behind the scenes, a producer, they'll talk about their breaking in moment. You know, I started out running scripts on NYPD Blue and now I star in my own show. What, what was your break in moment where you started to get a taste of what it is you do now? Oh yeah, good question. I, uh, it's pretty specific actually. So I was definitely an art director um, in television and for a while I was assisting a lot of different designers and starting to run my own little department. And I could tell you, I could make a reality show, a house pretty quickly if somebody called me and said, hey, it's gonna be this look, this is the design I have. I could get it done in four or five days. I was getting good, but I was still like, you know, just one of those guys that could do that. Um, I ran Lopez Tonight on TBS as an art director for two and a half years. And when I got out of that show, I was, kind of just in between, like I was art directing for some folks and I was designing a red carpet event and I got an opportunity from someone I had known who was a wife of a director that I had worked with who was uh, executive producing a music competition show called The Voice for NBC and it was in its second season. It did, it did well in its first season, but she really needed somebody to come in and design all of the style and the decor and the rehearsal rooms and the entire outer stage of that world and really give it a cool brand. If you remember back in the day, The Voice had like a big silver V hand that was holding a microphone and they just wanted to start talking about how to kind of edge it out a little bit and Americanize it. And so uh, taking that show on and organizing it and making it have a visual presence really, and then ultimately from there, the show got insanely successful, really established my name and presence in the television world as a designer. I was no longer a guy that could just sort of put things to make things for you. Um, I was somebody who had a vision. And so from there, I mean, just really one show came after the next and I just developed a team, a family that could roll with me from one project to the next and still balance them all together. 
Um, so yeah, it's the voice and I'll give it to the voice. I'll give it to CeeLo and Christina and Adam and Blake and for, uh, for creating a little bit of uh, what we do now. That sounds like a massive challenge though, from what you had described what you were doing to then come in and kind of help revitalize what's already fairly successful. Is that a nerve wracking adventure to try and improve upon what's existing in the voice? Sure, but you know, yeah, of course. And the, actually the hardest part is, is only being given like, you know, two months. But I can identify or look at something, maybe this is a flaw of mine, but I can see something, nothing's perfect. So I could see a problem in the show. I could look at it and be like, yeah, there's a lot here that just feels a little sterile, a little too European, not really relatable. Actually, you can tell, and this was just the first season, so a lot's happening in the first season of a show, and I took it on at season two. You know, I could tell that nobody was paying attention to it. Like, there's actually story here. There's actually a journey here of the artist trying to get to the end goal of the show in this competition that I could be visually telling. So if you identify that problem, then actually there's plenty of opportunity there. You touched on your family, the team you've built. As you're moving around from program to program, obviously you have your team with you nowadays, but how, how collaborative is the process in general? So you're doing different things, right? You're doing an award show or a singing competition that maybe has one look, but then a specific person's talk show maybe has a different style. What's the, the kind of group you're working with to understand what they all want the end goal to be? You're right. I mean, we have a team and uh, everybody's been with me for a long time. The longest is almost 10 years. She's at nine years now. She's with, with me since day one on The Voice. Um, and, you know, we're four years, two years, six years. Everybody's got a little bit of a tenure with the family. The thing is that I believe with our team is, is everybody does have a point of view and a strength that should be heard and should be talked and talked out and described and encouraged. And then everybody has weaknesses and everybody should have a safe play place to expose those and to find solutions together on how to build on them and how to sort of uh, fit, not fix them because they're never going to be fixed, but rather uh, get them supported. And so we're really open and honest about our professional strengths and weaknesses. Um, and we, I, I take a lot of risks and I think that it makes people nervous, but it also brings people together. And so um, we take big swings sometimes and you never know what the heck's gonna happen. Uh, and I love to take on a project that is not in our wheelhouse, that is not in our comfort zone, just to kind of push us a little bit. And so the team, I think, thrives in that. There's also something, you know, listen, I didn't go to school for business. Uh, I don't know really officially how to lead a team except for, I really, to me, it starts from the inside. I basically feel like I have no idea how to do my job and I really need to do a lot of listening from people. And, um, and so it's a lot of that really. It's a lot of just getting these great people together, talking it out and then pulling out what you think is the strongest elements of all their chat and then putting together a plan. So I think you have to have a sense of humility uh, and some experience and, uh, and, and, and really just an open ear. And then what about the people that have to use this set? So like a Kelly Clarkson, for example, right? Like, do you have to try and match what their point of view is or their feel for the look is? Do they get a lot of input or do you kind of 
give your recommendations? Where's that collaboration need? Sure. I mean, we do, uh, listen, everybody, it's very important to have uh, the star or the talent's voice in the setting that they're going to exist in. Ultimately, they have to make the show and it, it, it has to be a hit so we can get well, more money, right? So that we can make more of the show and, and keep a living with them. So they have to feel comfortable and they have to sit in their chair right and they have to feel like they're at home. So from Bill Nye to Kelly Clarkson or any of the coaches on The Voice, um, you have to have a conversation with them about what, the, what their aesthetic is. Now, for someone like Kelly, when I met her for the first time, um, she said she really liked uh, handbags, sunflowers, and, you know, an appreciation of music, which isn't a lot for, like, kind of making, you know, a world around her, really, when you're like, oh, handbags and sunflowers, great, thanks. I mean, what are we going to do now? Like, <laughs> can you tell me, like, what color couch or what sofa you like? And she was really open. Um, and that, that, there's a lot of creative freedom there. And that's, that can be really great. Uh, and then you can work with somebody, like, a, we're working with David Spade right now on a new talk show. And, you know, he's pretty particular about how, how his chair feels. In, in fact, so much so that we, he has a favorite dining room chair and we we, we're borrowing it and we're measuring it exactly. And we're going to copy that feel and bring it into a different chair. And so people are very specific and that also makes life easy, right? There's a certain engineering to that project. Um, it's great absolutely essential that you make the people feel at home and if they if, if not then it's going to show up in the show success or really or they're in their face when they tell you i don't like it and you kind of led to, to my next question because it sounds like you do get some hyper specific people that kind of just say i know what i want just make that thing happen that maybe takes a little bit of the creativity out of it for you but also remove some of the guesswork right Oh, yeah, but that's the best part. So Sarah Silverman, we've worked together on a couple things, and she has a certain aesthetic. I mean, one, one would maybe describe it, for lack of a better term, but like the Wes Anderson look, right? I call it like Highland Park, uh, kind of east side, but intelligent. And so she's very particular about what that looks like. And then if you get it right, well, then really, ultimately, she just trusts me to do it again and again and again. And you know, that, that, that's really rewarding too when you become that person's go-to in terms of like their style and what, how they want their space to feel and a sort of a visual translator for the people that she needs to impress. Like if she's working for HBO as opposed to Hulu, she's going to want to give it the HBO spin. So she trusts me to do her, but in an HBO way. And so um, that, that, there's a tremendous amount of pressure, but honor, I think, in that, in that role. Yeah. You talked about pushing your team to kind of maybe jump into things that will edge you out of your comfort zone. When you get a bid or, or someone asks you to come on to do something that really is, is beyond your kind of basic knowledge of something, where, where do you start first to kind of understand this thing better so that you do it right? I know. Or like when you talk to somebody, you're kind of like in a like a, a vacuum of like, it could be anything, right? So like, you just have to throw, you just have to throw shit on the walls and just see if it sticks. And that can be, that can, you can get a lot out of a conversation, but the next round is really like crappy pencil sketches and like a Pinterest mood board or tear sheets organized in a nice like eight 
eight picture selection and you're kind of doing like an allergy test really and i'll say that like i'm really going to be your doctor here for a minute and i'm just going to test a few things to see if you like them or not um because you're not giving me anything i mean i'm i'm a chef right i'm just trying to make a meal for somebody and if they don't like spicy food i've got to know that at the beginning but i'm also like a wedding planner and this is the most important wedding of this person's life so they're definitely going to have dramatic responses and so you know you gotta kind of delicately put out a few options just to get those favorites with these clients or bridezillas if you will <laughs> a lot of creative people and I, and I hear this often with say like a stand-up comedian right they they'll have a bit that crushed 10 years ago but they don't really enjoy revisiting it it it, it feels like a thing they did back then can you look back at your old stuff with appreciation? Is it all in the present and the future? God, so I was just talking to a comedy writer last week, and he said that sometimes my process sounds, because he's heard me on a podcast or something. I can't remember where he heard me. And, uh, and he said, your process sounds like what I do when I make comedy. It's just sort of like, try a few things out. And if it works, I keep polishing that one, and I have a bit, and I have a bit. And we do that all the time. Like, I throw out a lot of ideas. I don't really know if they're going to work or not, but sometimes uh, one or two are successful and I'll use them again and I'll use them again. And then I become semi, semi obsessed with that thing. For instance, uh, Edison bulbs, I guess even 10 years ago, I mean, they, they hit a moment and then all of a sudden it hit on the next show. And suddenly it was like that Edison bulb uh, crowd pleaser. We're like, if you were ever in a jam, design-wise, just give the medicine bulbs, they're gonna love it. I was really into it, uh, and now suddenly it's still something that always works. I mean, we're using this teal color right now on the walls, and for some reason, it's, it's a lovely color, and I, I liked it on the first three shows, but now it's one of those, like a comedian, like, it will always kill, they always like it, but man, if I have to do another show that's teal and copper, I'm gonna lose my mind. You know, and, and like, I guess if it works, it works. And that's great. But from an artistic standpoint, you do want to try to find the next one. Edison bulbs are to James Connolly what Hot Pockets are to Jim Gaffigan. Those are, it's like your go-to bit. You know it's going to crush, but you have other things in the arsenal. Always Edison bulbs. It's true. It, it's my Hot Pocket. That's great. <laughs> I can't wait to use that. By all means, please. Um, so you build a set or you, or you help design a set. The show is underway. Are you involved in it or are you on to the next thing? So when you create this thing and it's up and running, do you, are you like checking in on it to make sure it's still being done the way that you had designed it? What's that process? Yeah, you know, I mean, TV is different, right? So and it's different than theater, it's different than film. And I think in film, your production designer is going to, is it going to stay with the process all the way until it gets to the edit. With television in my world, um, Usually, most of the process is done before the shoot. It's all in the prep of it and, and, and sort of like the install. And then once the, once the team has the set, listen, as much as I'd like to stay, um, there's no money left to keep me. And there are really, really strong people that know how to use that set. They, these directors and these crews, it's not their first rodeo. So they're generally pretty much like, thanks, guy, but we got this from here. You're welcome to stay. I'm, I can go anytime I want. But as far as being useful, probably, what am I going to do? Design more? You know, like, 
But I will say there are certain, there are some production designers. No, I mean, I don't know if they're not busy or not, but they do like to stay on for a little bit longer, watch the show all the way through. I typically get a little bit bored with being in the dark on a folding table waiting for the show to end late at night. I'd rather go back to my cozy office and work on something else. So, you know, I mean, it's a, I guess it's like a soft finish, really. Here's the set, ta-da, everybody wants to make sure it works, ta-da, and then you're kind of done. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you've ever uh, had the pleasure of meeting like a groundskeeper at a Major League Baseball stadium. They want the grass and the infield to be as they have set it up all day, every day. You know, so I wondered if in your role sometimes it was like, hey, like that chair was over there and that's where that chair stays. Oh, I am like that for sure. <laughs> but nobody likes that guy on site anymore you know i mean you could you're you're welcome to stay and sit there and give notes but at the end of the day who wants crabby old school mom when tasking out like notes nobody wants it and i'll be honest too when you give them a little bit of freedom honestly like a little bit more authenticity comes out in behavior so sometimes it's good to just step back and let them break it a little bit fuck it it's just, it's just a wall break it moving things around it's fine Early on, you had mentioned watching something and kind of being able to see, oh, this is maybe not hitting here or I can notice something there. And I was thinking back to working in television news and uh, once you're kind of behind the scenes and you see how the sausage is made, you, you, you can't watch a newscast the same way. Like I can watch a sports report now and I see like that video is late, that graphic's wrong. Like it all is fine-ish, uh, fine but it's not perfect. Can you watch anything with with joy anymore or are you constantly seeing the holes in the sets and the design always constantly i mean like sometimes that's what keeps me in the show if the show is even really bad if it's really well done it's it's environments and it's design i mean i'll stay with it for a little bit longer than i should really like even some of that stuff on even netflix where you're like should i be watching this terrible show called dating in the dark or whatever it is and you're like <laughs> I just have to figure out how they did that. How did they make that? Are, are there really 12 rooms identical or are there just two? I've got to figure that out. And that it keeps you, or sometimes it will, will, it will ruin the experience. I mean, if it's done really poorly, then the, the, it doesn't have a chance in hell, you know? I mean, I just watched the Emmys and I don't know how you felt about it with no audience, but to me, I couldn't stop looking at what I thought was really just boring video screen content. I just kept thinking, gosh, if it would just be a little bit more dynamic. And I even know the guy who did it, I hope he's not listening, but like, you just kind of, you, you, you don't even know who won. You're just, you're tracked in, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I, I feel like, you know, in some of those cases, like less is more. Like if you can't have all the bells and whistles you usually have, let's tighten that thing up and move it through. Yeah, move it through, cut, 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 yeah, yeah. So before this conversation, coming into kind of production design, a bit a bit uh, ignorant to the whole process and going to learn more from you as we have, I kind of had this uh, sports analogy to production design. And you tell me if I'm, if I'm going to weigh off here. So I, I was kind of thinking about comparing a good set to like an offensive line on a football team, right? When it's bad, everyone knows and they, and they see it a mile away and they call it out. If it's okay, like your team might just be okay. You might kind of just go eight and eight, maybe make the playoffs. But if it's good, it can really be a thing that enhances the overall operation and kind of delivers a quote unquote championship product. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely fair. And nothing is better than if it's good, it can make 
the team. It can make the show. And, that, and, and good can be two things. Good can be, it's a standout character and you notice it. Um, like Mass Singer, right? Like you, you, you remember the faces. That was a big, bold move for us to do those big old faces, even though there's just two and that's all there really is to it. I mean, that's an iconic impression that just gives the show its, its look. And you'll remember it and it sticks in your head. And you know it, when you flip by on the channels, you know exactly what you're watching. But good can also be some, like a silent killer. Good can be something that just kind of a supporting role in the background that just makes sense, but isn't distracting at all. Um, I'm trying to think of a good show. Like th for, for instance, there's a, a show on Netflix called Blown Away. I didn't do it, but I just did a show close to it that is coming out in a couple months. And you know, that show, it takes place in a warehouse and it's crunchy and it's textured, but it's not really trying to steal the action, really. You're just kind of in a industrial space that feels appropriate to what, to glass blowing and all this art that's there. And, and it's not distracting. I think that's also really good. Just a few more for here, James. This has been really a really uh, fascinating uh, conversation for me, so I appreciate you taking the time here. Um, this is a, a creative medium, and, and this is the idea of, I guess, imitation being the sincerest form of flattery. Like, are there a finite number of looks and ideas? Do you, do you have to, like, consciously guard against doing something someone saw before? Oh, God, yeah. And you know what, Greg? Like, honestly, like, what am I doing right now? Three, six, nine, twelve. 15, 18, we're, there's like something like 23, 24 shows that are kind of like just being danced around here in, in the team. And uh, there are only seven colors in the rainbow. Like how many choices combinations can you make? And that's just this week, like uh, all the time. I am like sitting here thinking, all right, well, you know what? It's another baking show. What are we gonna do? We did this on the last one. We did this on the last one. This one, Sounds like it's pretty close to those two. To me, this is always in my own head, like, haven't they seen this before? Am I serving just what I did before? What's like the, I wish there was another color out there I could borrow and steal. Um, but really, truly, it's kind of just in your own head. Really, I, my advice to myself in those cases is like, get out of your own head, take a walk, just get, fresh eyes on this in the morning. Sometimes it's just about a combination, playing with a, that same color with a different shape. And suddenly a new personality just comes of it uh, that's fresh. So no, there are what seems like there are a finite amount of ideas and, um, and plays on a certain uh, project. There really aren't because every, it's like a snowflake or a human. Every single choice you make makes it different. And so it's, it's funny how that works, to be honest. Is there a thing or things out there, I'm talking projects that are the goal for you at some point in the future, or the quote unquote holy grail of something you'd love to work on? Yeah, man, of course. I uh, just thinking about it this morning as it was in the shower, was like, I really need to make a strong, aggressive move towards the Oscars. I would love to do the Oscars or the Olympic ceremony or a Broadway show, um, but I, I'm blessed. I, I, done Kelly Clarkson, one of the best daytime talk shows, The Masked Singer, biggest show on TV, The Voice, nailed it. I've done a lot of series television. I'd love to do something a little bit different, like a big award special, like the Oscars or the Olympics or some sort of giant ceremony like that. That would be incredible.
Well, you're in the right spot, only eight years away to the Los Angeles Olympic Games, so you just... Dude, that would be amazing. <laughs> Although, I'm not going to... If I don't get it, I'm very happy where I'm at. Like, it's great. <laughs> uh, you've done some on-camera work, some interviews, some hosting. What do you enjoy about that? Is there more of that to come? Yeah, and that's something I never really did in, in, uh, in college or in high school. I was always behind the scenes. And so it sort of started off with uh, some producers kind of having fun with me on site as I would give them a tour. Um, and they were like, oh, you know, you should do this, really. Um, so I've done a couple commercials for Kohl's, and I've done a lot of backstage tours. I've done, I did a makeover show. It's really just through my producer friends who have sort of enjoyed the personality that I guess I am, which really is equals just being passionate about what I do. Um, and just recently, I am on a show, a competition show as a judge for HBO Max that comes out next year. I wish I could tell you the name. I can't. But look out for next, a year from now, I'll be a permanent judge on a show. And I love it. It's so fun. I mean, all you have to do is just sit there and talk. How, how, how great is that? I'm into it. It's, it's fun. Well, you're, I mean, you have the appropriate energy, enthusiasm. That's, that's one of the big hurdles for doing television, I think, for people, is to be able to ramp it up to, to seem and feel engaged. Yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, I guess, too, at a certain point, you become experienced in a certain line of business, and they're like, oh, well, you're an expert. I guess you could talk about this. And you're like, I guess so. And it turns out when I did it, you know, I, I could. I and mean, it was really fun to judge. You just say, all you have to do is just say, that doesn't look very good. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> nice and easy. Uh, all right, our final three what's good questions. Uh, we start this way. James, what's something you've done for yourself lately? Oh, God, what did I just do for myself lately? I, um... I, I own a home and I just put a, uh, I just fixed up the exterior facade of it. I, I was staring at it. It was driving me crazy. It's a bit of an ugly house. And for me, even though the house is lovely, it didn't need this, but to me it needed it. Um, I, uh, I refaced the entire face of the house and uh, it makes me happy every single time I come home. So I did that for myself. There's a great irony in you having a potentially ugly home, so. I, I, exactly. Well, to me, it was, like, uh, ugly. I'm, the next thing I'm doing for myself is I'm getting new bathroom faucets. This sounds crazy, but I'm t so tired of these silver little faucets. I want something fancier. So, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, what's, what's something you've done for someone else? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll give it, it's not just for him, but it's for the two of us. We are in the process of uh, surrogacy. We just started the surrogacy process. Oh, congratulations. And for us, um, for me too, uh, we are going through that. And so uh, it's really exciting. It's something that only COVID could give us, really. We thoroughly enjoy spending time together. And now we're so much more productive. We're just sitting around. So we're, we've gone through all the motions. We signed the contract. We've, we've made an egg donor sort of choice. And so we're doing that. It's really cool. Yeah, it's funny how COVID has, uh, one of the silver linings has been a lot of families have been able to kind of focus on some family goals. Yeah, it's unbelievable, Craig, you know? It's cool. And then in between all like these fun like bar visits with your friends or events or whatever you have to do, you really get time to sort of spend time and be like, you know what, we can do this now. Fuck it, let's just do it. <laughs> uh, and what's something that you turn to that makes you laugh as kind of an escape? Oh, I love, I love a glass of some sort of booze about midday and video games. I just <laughs> love 
playing PlayStation with a glass or two of cold wine or uh, uh, tequila. That's what I will do for myself. I love it. That's fantastic. And I can't really leave without two New Jersey-centric questions. Best place to get a bagel in Los Angeles is? Oh, in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. I was going to go right for uh, that place on 36th uh, that used to be Hey Daddy Bagels. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, but they changed the name of that place. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Delicious now. It is. It is. It is. My mom just had a hip surgery. I sent her a bunch. Yeah, that's right. Oh, nice. Well done. And then um, I guess, you know what? I'm in L.A. And I've been in L.A. for about 20 years, Greg. I, I don't touch white carbs, man. I don't know. I don't know where to go. Let me let me solve a problem for you. Bagel <laughs> Nosh on Wilshire in Santa Monica will be the closest you will get to something you'd find in New Jersey, in my in my personal opinion. Is that right? Do they have the big over, like the big stuffy, big huge? That's, that's not something that anyone but New Jersey has embraced. But as far as the taste, it will it will uh, remind you, I think, of home a little bit. Do you remember getting them in the mid '90s and go, going to school? I remember it was so cold as hell, and like my, my mom would go grab from Hey Daddy Bagels bagels, and I'd get it with butter, and the butter was like half inch thick in between those. two. What were we thinking? was not a calorie conscious group of people, I'll tell you that much. No, and size of those bagels, those bagels what, were easily, what, 1,500 calories? I mean, massive. Massive, they had so much, and I ate the whole thing every day. James, you're talking to someone who, for most breakfast in high school, had a giant Costco muffin and a fruit from <laughs> Snapple. Yes. You think twice about it. Yeah, oh, what, lunch for years was a Snapple and white cheddar popcorn. Yeah, yeah, the best. I will say that's one of the benefits of, of, of having lived in Southern California. It is just so visually health conscious. You kind yeah. of have to get on board. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, James, this is awesome, man. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, congrats on all your success and uh, best of luck with everything else moving forward. Thanks, Greg, really appreciate it, thanks.